0: When I enter in those things, I don't feel like my position is I have to win them. I My position is I need to be true to who God made me, but I will speak that truth in love. I mean, and sometimes that's a, that is a firm word. I mean, it's Jesus who says, look, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he had no problem denouncing what's wrong and still be called humble and and, uh, and gentle. So I'm I'm of the mindset that humility and gentleness does not mean I, I refrain from speaking um forthrightly and truthfully, but it also means I I extend a certain respect to my conversation partner that um, I might not if I was just intent on winning.
1: Well, Dr. Dennis Edwards, I want to welcome you back to the Restoring Soul podcast. Yeah, it really is nice to be with you again. I've appreciated our
0: past interactions.
1: Yeah, me too. And in our last interaction on the podcast, we actually talked about your book about humility mm-hmm. and um it's coming out and it's coming out this fall with InterVarsity Press. That's right.
0: Uh, IVP Academic is is publishing the book and um yeah, when we talked last time, I think I was just kind of in the midst of working on it and now it's it's done. <laughs>
1: Well, congratulations on Thank giving you. birth to another one. Your, your previous book, Might from the Margins, continues mm-hmm. to touch me and challenge me deeply. Thank you. Um, humility is of importance to me, in part because of my life story. There's been a lot of me being humbled, mm. and I've tried to make it a spiritual value to learn to humble myself, although I don't do very well with that most of the time, it seems. But it seems to me that humility is really misunderstood and misapplied yeah. for followers of Jesus, so yes. um, let's let's start there. What are the misunderstandings <laughs> around yeah. this really important topic? I appreciate that. In fact, I was going to call the book uh, Humility Misunderstood,"
0: something like that. I think there's a there's a certain fear underneath um, when we think of humility that a fear that I'll be. Diminished. I'll be stepped on. I'll be taken advantage of. So we have to somehow sell humility as a virtue that says, "Well, really, to be successful, and um, you can be humble." In fact, one of the books that I that I uh, reference in mine, uh, a writer says um, that it's sort of the pathway toward toward success. Uh, humility is, and then gives examples from the military and business and uh, uh, sports, the kind of the trinity of, uh, of examples that we use for people in ministry. So I think a misconception is that humility is 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 such an abasement that I have to kind of uh, ignore who I am really at the core, and there's a fear that we'll be taken advantage of. So we have to sell it in some ways as, as a pathway towards success.
1: And so I'm just going to throw a couple of the common definitions that I've heard out. And then I want you to just kind of filter it as a theologian and as a pastor. One of the common ones is humility is thinking less of yourself. (laughs) Filter that.
0: Hmm. Well, I certainly don't agree with that. And that's another one of those popular ideas. You know, thinking less. I'm not sure what that means, really. I think it's having what I would call a proper perspective of oneself. Uh, You know, hummus is the root of the word humility, and hummus kind of means the ground, right? So I think of of humility as being grounded. It's having an accurate self-perception. So it's not thinking too highly of yourself, which is what something the New Testament says, right? Don't think too highly of yourself. But at the same time, it's not abasing oneself either and diminishing. It's having an accurate perception of of who God made us.
1: So now I'll just uh, tweak the words. One definition is, as I just said, thinking less of yourself, and then what about thinking of yourself less? A popular <laughs> pastor has said that, and that has never sat right with me. Yeah, it doesn't sit well with me
0: either. I, I think there's nothing wrong with thinking about ourselves <laughs> and, and how we fit into what God is doing in the world and doing in our lives. In fact, I, I don't think of humility in those terms of um, of sort of that introspection about how how I'm coming off in other people's eyes or or if i'm have my mind dwelling on something uh, about myself to uh, um you know in the, in that sense i think of it in a relational sense uh, in terms of my relationship with god okay.
1: So unpack that, because that's really
0: the heart of your book, right? It is. And I think, I mean, one way we could uh, talk about humility is maybe looking at it from a sociological or even a psychological lens. And many people have done that. But I've tried to look at what I think scriptures are saying. So let's take an example of Moses, right? So we've got Moses um, and that little offhand comment in Numbers that he is the humblest person on the face of the earth, or the meekest in some translations. And if you look at what's happening around with his life, at least in that in that episode in Numbers and perhaps a few other areas around, you'll see that what God says in that episode is that Moses, we speak face to face, or literally in Hebrew, mouth to mouth, that there's this sense that Moses can be identified as humble because he has this as the humblest person, because he has this unique relationship with God. So I'm arguing that humility starts with my, my, my yielding or submission to God before I worry about how other people are looking at me. So that's, that's what I think is the core of what humility is. It's my recognition of who I am before God.
1: Yeah. And so it's, it's the unadorned who I am. It's yeah. the, it's not the false self. It's the true self, if I'm understanding it yes, correctly. Yes. My actual self.
0: My actual self. That's a good way to say it. I, I think that's true. We, um, there was a book years ago that, uh, you may know of, it was called glittering images by Susan Howitch. It's, it's a novel, but it's a novel about a clergy person. And, uh, and I, and that phrase glittering image, we sometimes create those things. It's like, it, it isn't an Adorned perception of ourselves. We make ourselves look really good. But if we could sort of strip that down and say, God, this is who I am. This is how you made me. And I recognize that and I submit to, to you, God, that I think is,
1: is where humility starts. And so you talked about Moses. Of course, Jesus declares himself humble in Matthew 11. Mm-hmm. Most right. people know the passage, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's I love right. how Eugene Peterson paraphrased that in the message <laughs> where he says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting yeah. on you. Come right. to me and live, live, live freely and lightly. Mm-hmm. But what he says in that passage, at least in the King James, is, Lo, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble. That's right. And if, right. if we're to be Christ like. We're not just called to be humble, I've always thought, but we're actually somehow, if we're to be christ like and he proclaimed himself that, what would you say as a theologian and pastor for us to proclaim ourselves that way? Not to hold up a sign like -hmm. the John 316 sign at a baseball game and say, I'm the most (laughs) humble person in the world, but it almost feels laughable to go, yeah, I was humble in that moment, or I fundamentally can see myself as God sees me. And Um, that's that's what
0: humility is. That's actually, I I really do appreciate that. I actually hadn't thought about it in terms of how I would define myself or say it out loud, but I would see no problem with it. I I treat that passage actually in in some detail in the book, because uh, if we think from a, a New Testament formation standpoint, Pauline letters predate the Gospels. So there's a scholar, she's written a pretty heavy book called Paul on humility. Her name is Eve Marie Becker, a German scholar. It's been translated in English. And she will even go so far as to say Paul invented humility because he takes this word, tapenafrasune in Greek, which which literally can mean low, low thinking. And um and she talks about how, how he presents this as a virtue when when his contemporaries did not, right? So Jesus uses the same kind of language, or M- Matthew uses the same kind of language to describe Jesus or puts those words in Jesus' mouth, of course, as Jesus is saying about himself. So we see these kind of values uh, put out there. Paul will call people to be humble. He will he will say this, and then we see it echoed in how Jesus um, is defining himself. So I, I think you're right on target. What I hadn't thought about is how I could say that. I guess my question really would be, Why would I need to say it? And I I suspect there might be moments when I'm challenged, like probably Jesus was too, to say, well, look, I am a humble person and I am carrying myself in in such and such a way before God. So I don't think there's any problem with it. I just imagine what kind of scenarios would I need to ha- have to declare it, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, Hey, I have the trophy and humility. <laughs> right. I got that. <laughs> Right. I, I, I won. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, the uh, magna cum laude of humility <laughs> right. or something like that. Yeah. yeah that that I, sounds it just, like an oxymoron right there, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And the only reason I bring that up is because mm-hmm. in the kind of counseling we do, yeah. helping people when they start to realize that humility is this kind of trusting God that as he sees us, that that's the person that's loved. Yes. That humility can be a kind of currency. I don't mean a currency to uh, to manipulate, but a currency like we see two times in the New Testament in James and in First Peter that if we humble ourselves, that he gives us a gift. That there's grace. Yes. And that one of the ways that I try to posture my life. Through a lot of the twelve-step work that I've done and that kind of thing is, hey God, I've got no game. I'm powerless, as opposed to yeah, I'm going to have my devotions today and you know, hit a home run, getting something out of the word, say some prayers, listen to some Christian worship music, and yeah. and I've I've got this all figured out. Hmm.
0: I really like that when you talk about currency. I see. See, there's this perception in some places that. I have to see myself as this really insignificant worm that is, is just so wretched that, um, that that's what humility is. And I, I think that's not fair to the way the scriptures, um, talk about us being made in the image of God, being fearfully, wonderfully made, so many things. There's, there's some inherent w- worth that we have as human beings. So I don't think we have to see ourselves in that low way. But the power dynamic that you just mentioned, if I can recognize that I'm powerless without God, that is the more submissive kind of place. And that becomes the currency. But I like that you, you know, you say that, but I don't want currency to mean this is how I get ahead in life. Because I think that's right. the that's the problem that I'm having is that if I see it merely as a strategy for advancement, then then it becomes manipulative. Well, I'll, and this is the way some Romans thought of of the concept of we sometimes get translated meekness. They saw it as mm. I'll be magnanimous. I'll be I'll do this big kind act for people because that gives me some social currency and allows me to you know be seen with honor and status in the, in the world. This is not the way I think the New Testament talks about it. It's God opposes the proud, the reference that you just gave, which actually travels throughout the Bible and into the apostolic fathers. God opposes the proud, but gives grace or favor to the humble. So therefore humble you, yourselves, he, he will say, or Peter says that particularly. So this idea that God lifts us up, it's not a strategy for my own advancement. It's a way of um, God saying, look, I got you. You can... You can be submissive and you can not have to be the um, the overpowering one in the room. You can be yourself, genuine yourself. I will take care of you. And in fact, I'm going to resist those who are so proud and arrogant that they advance their own agendas and I'll take care of you and give you favor. I think that's a beautiful kind of currency if you to take your terms. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And what always happens in our conversations is you, the way you think triggers neurons in my brain. And then (laughs) I'm thinking that what you said takes me to Isaiah 55. Hmm. And in chapters one through three, there's this really interesting statement where the prophet says, I think it says ho in the in the mm-hmm. um, King James yeah. King James. And I actually looked this up for a Jewish friend recently, and it was low. But it basically says, you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, buy and eat the richest affair, wine and bread and milk. Yeah. And there it is, wow. this idea that <clears throat> to get the good stuff, you actually have to acknowledge that you don't have anything that you can't buy in that store. So the condition is if you're going to use the currency of acknowledging mm-hmm. your thirst and the fact that you can't get the satisfaction of your thirst, um, that it's the, it's the poverty, if you will, that that gives the good gift, the favor. And I, I, it's just interesting that you mm-hmm. start to see this everywhere. Yeah,
0: I, I'm with you. In fact, uh, Michael, I think from our last conversations that we, that was sort of the thesis of my from the margins is that this power is coming with... To people, or is present in people who are powerless in society's eyes, and in many ways, that weakness, or that powerlessness, or that apparent, you know, powerlessness and weakness, is what stimulates the work of the spirit in, in many cases. So one of the questions one might have is, wait a second, are you asking lowly people to go even lower? Are you asking people who've been on the margins to to even you know, diminish themselves even more? And my answer is no, that's not the way this works. But if we're going to understand humility, those are the folks we look at because we look at the way society has treated folks who at, on the margins and see that kind of resilience and say, ah, if I want to learn the way of humility, that's who I'm looking at. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that, that now acknowledgement of our powerlessness in in the sight of God, our, our relative weakness and that um, I do think that's part of what humility entails.
1: That's such an important distinction to say that it's never about taking people that are already oppressed and powerless and making them go lower, right. but that there's actually a kind of invisible power Yes. That as we look through history and the church in particular, we see movements of right. the oppressed and the powerless, as your first, uh, as your last book mm-hmm. said, Might from the Margins, right. that that's where revolution can happen. Amen. Kingdom Amen. kinds of revolution. Amen. So it's almost like your book on humility and Might from the Margins is, uh, you know, their bookends, if you will. <laughs> yeah, in some ways I was thinking about that. I was, I was working on it
0: because... I really do think that Might from the Margins pushed me to think about humility. And maybe maybe partly because while I was trying in the in mind from the margins to celebrate and acknowledge the power that is present in those who appear powerless, I also wanted to at the same time challenge those who who are in relative positions of power and think that um that they are better or that somehow they are deserving of these roles or some or something, and also to push folks in that relative position of power to recognize that if they really are going to be Christ-like, I'm, I'm talking Christians predominantly, if they really want to be the way of Christ, then take on the way Jesus positioned himself, just like you said earlier in the Matthew 11 passage, that you're going to be gentle of heart and humble or lowly as the King James says. So if that's my model, then that changes the way I see or at least it ought to change the way I see myself
1: in the world. To the point, I like to think about, uh, like to project this this important but but basic spiritual concept of humility. What would happen in the uh, national? debt crisis and the debt ceiling if the Republicans and Democrats sat down and said, our, our, our first job here is to be humble. What would happen? And it sounds, of course, irrational, but if right. Vladimir Putin and President Zelensky sat down and said, we are going to be humble, it would, it would change the world. Oh. So this is not just some esoteric idea that if we go live in a monastery for enough That's time, right. that That's we'll right. become humble.
0: Thank you so much for saying that. And I, and I'm, and I always start with Christian community, but you've just given examples that kind of push out to how we could be even looking at the way the world gets transformed. But I even see Christian community as polarized, at least in the States. And, and so part of me says, what would happen if w- when I enter into this dialogue or into this room or into this space with Christians who, who are angry about something or frustrated or in a disagreement and say that my first order of business is to think about myself as a humble person in the way of Jesus, Philippians 2, Matthew 11, these kinds of passages and think, how how would that change the conversation? Because right now, I honestly think many of us come at conversations like that and and it's winner take all. It's like, I have to win. I have to win. And I've talked to friends about this, like, where does that competition come from? And I'm not saying that these things are unimportant. I'm just saying in my own way of being, when I enter in those things, I don't feel like my positions, I have to win them. I, my position is I need to be true to who God made me, but I will speak that truth in love. I mean, sometimes that's a, that is a firm word. I mean, it's Jesus who says, look, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he had no problem denouncing what's wrong and still be called humble and, and, uh, and gentle. So I'm, I'm of the mindset that humility and gentleness does not mean I, I refrain from speaking, um, forthrightly and truthfully but it also means I, I extend a certain respect to my to my conversation partner that um, I might not if I was just intent on winning
1: I can't help but think of dr. King who we've had we've had some conversation around him in the past but where he had a fierce opposition to the injustice and the Amen. oppression and the Amen. racism and the constitutional laws that were literally still in place Amen. that were Racist and unfair and inhumane, and in that fierceness, he was incredibly humble to the point of uh, nonviolent resistance. Amen. Amen. There's, of, th- of, there's,
0: there's a fierceness to that kind of love, right? I mean, that's what he writes about and and preached about, and, and I think humility does that. It's a it's a very tenacious way of of showing love. And, and it works in concert. I mean, some of these passages of scripture that we look at, like in Colossians, that when we're, um, the kinds of virtue list that, that's there, humility's part of that, right? There's a humility, there's a gentleness, there's a love, there's all these things work together. But I'm arguing that humility sort of unlocks the door, if you will, for some of these virtues, because we can be stubborn about things and not experience these other virtues if we, if we don't recognize our position before God, that we open ourselves up to receive, to um, then become those peacemakers with others, which is what I think humility allows us to do.
1: Dennis, one of the things I've most appreciated about our conversations is you're a scholar and an academic uh, with a PhD trained at some of the best schools and universities, but you also are a pastor and you've been a pastor through your whole adult career in a number of different congregations. So right. from a pastoral perspective, let's get practical. Yeah, How can we cultivate humility? Yes. We can't just go out and say, you know, I'm going to let people step in front of me at McDonald's or something like that. Although (laughs) that may, that may be part of it, but how do we become humble and how can we cultivate this daily? Well, thank you. I I do
0: try to say in the book, I mean, I try to give a lot of different illustrations and and imagine ourselves or our churches or our communities in different situations. But the upshot of it all is that I am trying to um, ask myself along the way, um how i can be this peacemaking reconciling presence that depends on god in these in whatever situation i'm in so rather than think of it as just an episode i try to cultivate a way of being that says how can i be that i've been in some tense meetings even in the last year i have a new position in my in my work and i um and i found myself stopping taking some deep breaths becoming mindful and saying, well, how can I be this reconciling presence here and there? To me, that's that's what a, a practical way that humility starts. Rather than reacting, you know, and being hasty in that, I'm stopping to say, Lord, how can I be that voice here or that presence here? Maybe it's not a voice. Maybe it means I'm listening here. So I think it's that those moment by moment kind of cultivations of um, how am I representing the Lord. Um, I don't want to be corny and just say, what would Jesus do? That's not what I mean. It's, it's, it's recognizing who I am in particular spaces. So the reason why it's hard to just mention one way of cultivating, it's sort of, it, but it isn't, it's a general paying attention and maybe mindfulness is the word, uh, uh, paying attention to where I'm at, who I'm at and and how I can best, um, represent, um, the Lord in these places.
1: I love how you, you just made a distinction there about certain places, because if I think of myself, there's places where it's easy to be humble, to <laughs> defer. That's right. uh, you know, There's that passage in Philippians 2, I think it's 3 and 4, where it says, look to others' interests before your own. That's right, exactly. And that's really hard to do, but there's certain spaces I'm in, and it might be a professional space. It might be at the grocery store if I'm really in a rush. That's right. You know, and- People are over for dinner and we live pretty close to a grocery store so I can drive or run over there and get the whipped cream for the top of the dessert. (laughs) And because I'm in a rush, I dart to the checkout counter Mm -hmm. and got to make sure I get there before somebody else. So it's it's in different spaces where it feels to me like something's at stake. My well-being, my interest, whatever the outcome is. And I think that for our listeners, and I, I want you to chime in on this, yeah. that it feels like where we struggle for humility the most is where something's at stake for our own well-being. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So well said.
0: I, I was thinking that way earlier in our conversation when I said fear, because I do think it's that that notion that something's at stake for our own well-being. I, I was thinking that as a fear. so So I have to somehow um uh protect myself so if i'm thinking of others interests before my own that makes me um possibly um uh, getting hurt right i mean it sets me up for something so that's why i think we come back to the currency you mentioned i think that's why we have to come back to god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble that if i'm really truly trusting in god and i'm not saying this is an easy thing but then i'm trying to re- honestly believe that god will show favor on me. That's the kind of um, posture I hope for in my own life. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I love that. The not pushing for my own way, or as you said earlier, the winning. Can you also comment on that word oppose? God opposes the proud. If people could watch us on the screen, I'm going to put my glasses down (laughs) on the end of my nose. (laughs) That when we hear that phrase, God opposes the proud, like he's mad at us. And I've, I've really seen it as, it's almost like God saying, I can't work with proud. Right. I can't, I can't mold anything with that because it's like hard clay.
0: Yeah. I, I like the way you think you, are, you have a good way with pictures and metaphors because I mean, it just says straight out in the Greek, God is anti, I mean, anti, I mean, it's like, and I've just, it's scary me to think, what does it mean for God to be anti? But I think you filled it out. Well, that anti means I can't, I can't work with you. I mean, you the you're in opposition to me and i and and we're we're not in sync right here so not being in sync with god there's there's no fruitful kind of outcome there so i'm i'm with you on that that the, the idea is god is excited and eager to work with those now i didn't write a book about pride per se but i did interact with with people who who did um write books on pride and and as the old king james says vain glory or empty glory is the way paul We'll have it also in that Philippians passage, the idea of wanting people to perceive you as better or getting your own way. And that is is not the way of God. So you're right. There is a um, there's a sense that I'm yielding something, which takes me back to my original point that I'm yielding my own way. And I then I get favor from God.
1: Um, I love how you just brought up the idea of pride and humility and how you got to think about those side by side. So your next book needs to be how to be proud. And it can sell in airports, you know, with little, little Little asterisks in them because it seems like the more offensive a title is, the yes. more likely it is to be in one of the airport bookstores. And that's what it's all about, right? Is selling a lot of books. Yeah. Well, I might, I, I, for some it is. I might. Well, it's that
0: I appreciate that, but I, I am. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much books will sell, but I honestly do believe it was. It was something that got it put in my heart. And the nice thing was when IVP folks came and approached me um, particular, and um, well, th- there were several people that we were in sync on this, that they said, this is something we think you, w- you your voice would be important on. And it was something I've been thinking about for many, many years. But you'll see that as people get the book, they'll notice i spend a little bit at the beginning in the intro sharing a little bit of my own journey and how these these notions were shaped in me.
1: Brother, I just want to say I love your heart. I love your mind. It's always wonderful uh, talking to you. So, Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards, blessings and thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
0: So, thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.